Good morning. Um, good to see you, even though I only see there's nine of us in the building today. We're within our confines. Uh, and I've often had a frog in my throat when preaching, but last week evidently I had Darth Vader in my throat from your perspective. I'm glad I'm, we're sounding good today. Everything's good? All right. Good. Uh, today begins the first Sunday of the season of Advent. Advent is this, it, it actually means coming, and we look back to the coming of Jesus uh, in, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and we look forward to his return. It's a season of longing. It's actually a way for us to try to connect uh, mentally and emotionally and spiritually with this sense, feeling of longing for the coming of Jesus and letting that feeling of longing cultivate something in us. And every year, the lectionary, this time of year, connects us with one of the prophets and also one of the gospels. Uh, this year, it's the book of Jeremiah and the book of Mark. Now, I love them both, but Jeremiah is a pretty challenging book. And Mark, really, if you want to read Mark for Christmas text, there is not much to it. But we'll, we're going to follow this and see where it goes. Uh, the context today in Jeremiah chapter 1 uh, it's a good book for us to pick up. We've just finished looking at the monarchy. We saw last week the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and Jeremiah is speaking in the southern kingdom of Judah after that time, leading up to the fall of Judah and Jerusalem to Babylon. This is about 600 years before that night in Bethlehem. And we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 1. I'll read the text now. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. And the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. The kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you. 
but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What well, doesn't take a biblical scholar to, to see what this text is about. It's the call of a prophet. And it's, it's a good place to start because prophets came to, to discuss the situation as it was and to offer hope for the future. And our focus today, as in this first week of Advent, is hope. We light the candle of hope. I'll do that in a few minutes. And hope is desperately needed in a world filled with political turmoil and suffering from a pandemic. His calling might seem like a strange place to start, but, but often the road to hope takes a strange direction. And one thing we need to realize as we read the text is that this is about real people and real places and difficult times. Just notice that it starts giving you all that context. Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, a priest in Anathoth. This is a small town just about three miles outside of Jerusalem. And then it lists all the kings during the time when he was prophesying. It's always good to remember that these are real people in real places. That they got up in the morning and they went about their day with some of the same kinds of feelings and concerns and expectations that you and I get up and go about our day with. The 13th year of Josiah, when he began to prophesy, would have been 627 B.C. Jerusalem went into exile in 586 B.C. So for 41 years, Jeremiah was listening to God and speaking what he said to the people as the kingdom went down and down and down and eventually collapsed. They were difficult and dark days. And see, we, we feel a little bit of that now. I feel a little bit of that just because you're not here with us. You know, our time is different. We, we have much more materially than people, than Jeremiah had at this time or, or other people in Judah. But the, there's a heaviness in the air then, and I think we feel that now. A fear about what is coming and how it might impact us. And into this, Jeremiah, the son of a priest, gets the call to be a prophet. In verse 4 and 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Wow, before he was even born, God had put his hand on him and, and determined that Jeremiah was going to be a prophet speaking to the nations. And the first thing we're confronted with from Jeremiah's perspective are Jeremiah's feelings of inadequacy. He says, I don't know how to do this, God. I'm only a child. He actually uses the Hebrew word na'ar, which means infant. It's the same exact Hebrew word that was used of Moses when he was put in the basket. He's a na'ar, he's an infant a baby. The same exact word of Samuel when he was taken up and given to, at the, to, to serve at the temple when he was two, three years old. He's using this term child, emphasizing his lack of experience. Best guesses are he's in his late teens, maybe early 20s, but he felt really poorly prepared to be God's ambassador to the nations, and I think we all would. I think sometimes we all feel inadequate, like we really can't do what God's called us to do. How do we do this? And I, I feel that now. Like, how do we function as a church in this kind of situation? How do we connect and actually serve the community? How do we help people live out these commitments that we hold as valuable? How do we, how do we live out the light in a very, very dark culture at the moment? And some of you are facing personal struggles, right? Burdens that you're carrying that seem to weigh you down and you just think, how can I do this? Lord, I'm only a child. In the next few verses, we see some good insight for how to live 
in this time as we see Jeremiah live in his to make sure that we are like he is clinging to three things, sovereignty, word, and presence. Even in his weakness, he addresses God in verse six, O sovereign Lord. That, that word is Adonai, this idea of God as master and owner and ruler over all, the one who's in the driver's seat of history. He says, I'm but a child, but you are the one in control. And God says, don't focus on your youth, Jeremiah. Don't focus on your inexperience. Don't focus on your feelings of inadequacy. You have to go where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. Focus not on you, but on me and the word that I give you. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. It's not about you, Jeremiah. It's about what I'm giving you. I will give you what you need. The sovereign Lord will give you the word that you need. And even more, he says in verse 8, I am with you. This idea of presence that God doesn't send us into these situations alone. I don't know about you, but if you go into a new place and you're by yourself, there's always some anxiety around that. Where am I going to sit? Who am I going to see? What am I? But isn't it amazing when you're not alone, when you go in with somebody else, there's just more confidence as you go into these situations. And, and God says to Jeremiah, I am sovereign. I will give you what you need and I will go with you. Jeremiah's reminded of who he is, master, Lord, sovereign. What he says, I will give you the words that you need and where God is with you. And then this process starts. Verse 11, he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And again in verse 13, what do you see? And Jeremiah starts doing something that we're called to do right here in our world too. I think looking, listening, and learning. First, he's called to look. What do you see? And he has two visions, right? An almond tree and a boiling pot that's tipping away from the north. The first thing we're told to do is to look and to see what is around us. Jeremiah has a vision, some kind of, I don't know how he saw an almond tree, and a boy, whether it was just a, a dream or, or what it was. And, and maybe we don't have a vision, but there's still lots to see. And, and in this, you've got to notice that the focus of Jeremiah has shifted from himself as a child and his own inadequacies to outwardly what he sees. Now he's looking outward, seeing something other than himself. And for us, he, he sees an almond tree in a boiling pot. For us, it may be the world around us to see what others are going through, to see what's happening. God says to us, what do you see? And we say, well, we see people struggling. We see people isolated. We see political turmoil and division. We see homelessness, poverty, addiction, mental illness. We, that's what we see, God. But it's not just about what you see. It's also about looking and listening. Jeremiah saw these visions. God, I see an almond tree. God, I see a boiling pot. But what does God see in this? And God says, yeah, that's right, an almond tree. The word for almond in Hebrew is shakad. And the word for watching is shakad. So what God's actually doing here is playing. He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, I see a shakad. And God says, yes, because I am shakad. I'm watching. I'm going to do something about the situation. Something's coming soon. You see, Jeremiah saw that, but he didn't understand until God spoke to him what the application of it was. Same with the boiling pot. He says, I see a boiling pot tipping away from the north. And he says, the disaster is coming upon Judah from the north. Once again, he saw something, but he had to listen for what it meant. And the question is, are we willing to learn like Jeremiah? Are we willing 
not to jump to our conclusions, but to look at what we see, to listen to what God's saying and learn what he's saying. You know, in some sense, we're all called by God into mission, like Jeremiah. We, we feel inadequate for what lies ahead. And if, it, it's like we don't really understand what it is that God's calling us to. But God says, look at what you see, listen to me, and learn my perspective on it. And then God speaks clearly to Jeremiah in verses 17 to 19 about what lies ahead. And I think we can find some guidance there responding to the present crisis. Jeremiah was facing a national crisis. He was going to have things to say to people that were going to be hard to hear. Life was not how people wanted it to be. Do you feel that way now? Life is not how we want it to be. But God gives him direction. And I think in that we find direction for us too. God gives him five things to do. Ways for him to respond to this crisis. And first, it says, prepare yourself, stand up. You see, he tells Jeremiah, in your situation, you have to prepare to be courageous. There's something big coming, Jeremiah, and you have to be ready. Stand up. Prepare yourself. We're talking about a message that the hearers are not going to like. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take courage. And I want you to be aware of what's going on. I want you to be aware of what's coming. And I want you to prepare yourself to be courageous. Look back to my sovereignty. Look back to my presence with you. And then lean forward into the situation. Second, he says, speak what God gives. Say to them whatever I command you. I want to highlight three things about that here. First of all, it's what God gives. Now, there's a sense of the moment here. God seems to be saying, when you need me to tell you what to say, I will do it. Speak whatever I command you. He doesn't say, here's the list of what I want you to say. Go say it. He, there, there's this sense of it happening in the moment. And you know, sometimes we take a verse from the Bible from 20 years ago, and it's still true, but we use it like a stick. <laughs> and we beat people with it. Instead of going into that situation, looking, listening, and learning for, the, for how the Scripture and what God says applies into that given situation. I had some really good advice when I started being a pastor. Another pastor said, uh, you've got to discern what needs to happen at the right moment. He said, if your only tool is a hammer, then pretty soon every situation will start to look like a nail. And I thought that was wise. He said, if, if you only have this one, one skill or one idea or one truth, you're going to try to apply it everywhere instead of going into the situation and speaking what God commands you in that moment. I'm not saying you don't share scripture. I'm just saying sometimes we decide what we're going to share in the moment before we ever get there. And what he's saying to Jeremiah is speak what I command you in the moment. And he, the second thing, that's the first thing. The second thing is he's saying speak it. Don't hesitate. In that moment, share what God is laying on you. But the flip side is also true, and that's the third thing. Don't speak anything else. Sometimes that will mean you just keep silent. You'll be looking and listening and learning. You may go into situations and not know what God's going to say into that situation. And in that case, let me give you a kind spiritual piece of advice. Shut your mouth. Don't speak unless you're convinced God is, the Spirit is prompting you to say this. Because well-meaning Christians have tried to, to, to jam Scripture into situations where it, it really is applied more from a sense of control or from their own feelings of inadequacy than from feeling the dependence upon God to speak into a given situation. Take time. Don't rush to speak. Make sure you speak what God gives when and only He gives it. 
So he says, stand up, prepare to be courageous and speak what I give you. And third, he says, don't give way to fear. Don't be terrified by them, he says, or I will terrify you before them. Jeremiah, you have to realize, he says, I'm in control. Do not be afraid. This is a constant message of Scripture, especially the New Testament, and especially important in dark days like today when so many are living in fear. The Advent message is that light comes to the darkness. Darkness is the exact place light was meant to show up. So when the world is dark, we do not need to be afraid. The context is set for light to come. How does that light come? God's advice to Jeremiah about how that light comes is be who God made you to be. Look at verse 18. I love this. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. See, after this conversation, in any given moment, I'm sure there's times when Jeremiah is entering a situation and he does not feel like a fortified city or an iron pillar or a bronze wall. He feels inadequate. He feels like a child. But God says, that's not who you are. Be who I have made you to be. See, in these moments of darkness, in these moments of feeling inadequate to what is set before us, we are not to be directed by what we feel or what we think we can do. We are to be who God has made us to be. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit living in us, I've, I've said this again, we are holy and blameless, deeply loved children of God. That is who we are. Whether we feel that way, whether we even believe it, it's still who we are. His adopted children called to this, as we talked in 1 John, this table of the Trinity where we can have fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where, where divine life actually flows in and through us. Be who God made us to be. That's the way we're supposed to live in this world. This is who we are according to God, and this is who we need to be, the person who God says we are. And to do that, we have to do the last thing he tells Jeremiah, trust in his presence. Verse 19, they will fight against you, Jeremiah, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. God says this will not be easy. They're going to come after you, Jeremiah. They're going to fight against you. Life will be difficult, but two things are clear. Number one, you will not be overcome. And number two, you will not be alone. See, that's the call of Jeremiah. Times are difficult. Jeremiah says, I'm not up to it, God. And God says, prepare, have courage. Speak what I tell you when I tell you. Don't be afraid. Be who I say you are, not how you feel you are. And trust that you will not be overcome and you will not be alone, that I will be with you. See, that's, that's God's calling, I think, to us right here as we enter this Advent season to, to, to stand up right here, right now, courageously to speak what he is telling us, what he says, when he says. Now, that's not what we want him to say or what we think he might say, but it's to enter those situations and trust. That, that's one of the reasons, people, that we have to be immersed in Scripture. We have to live it so that it, it, it becomes something that comes up out of us by the presence of the Spirit. That in that moment, we're drawn by the Spirit, we're pointed by the Spirit to the right things to say at the right time. And there's three ideas. There's a resonance of what Jeremiah was going through, what he's living through. 
that, that resonates with the Hebrew longing for the coming of the Messiah. The, the world is not as it should be, says Jeremiah. And he's saying that to the people. Well, the whole nation of Israel had felt that. They were longing for the coming of the Messiah. And us today, we feel that longing. This is not the world we want. These three, three threads are weaving themselves together right here at this very moment. And so I ask you, what do you see this Advent? God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? That's a great question. What do we see? Can we bring an honest perspective of our need and our situation to God and allow him to meet us there? See, there's no place too dark for his light to transform. And sometimes the first step, and that's what I want you to see today, the first step, the reason this was so important, the first step in, in following in our current situation is to acknowledge the darkness that is present. That's why I would encourage you this Advent, as, as you look at all the darkness and the turmoil, to not be afraid to acknowledge it, but also to realize you want to be seeing the forest and the trees. You remember that statement you've heard, I'm sure, where people can't see the forest for the trees. They're, they're so focused in on the little things they can't get the big picture. Well, sometimes in our religious and spiritual walk, we, we get the big picture, but we don't see the close up. We come to Advent and we, we think of the whole world aching for the return of Jesus and for the kingdom to be established and for things to be big, made new. And we see the big picture. We see the forest. We see that longing for the world to be made new. But we also need to see the trees. We need to shrink it down and apply it right here to our own little tree in this big forest. See, Paul writes, you may not have known, but this verse is about the forest and the trees in 2 Corinthians 10. Three, and five, three to five. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He's talking big scope here. Big scope. And then, then he says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then he comes right home and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Both of those are there. There are huge issues. There's these principalities and powers. There's evil in the world that's overwhelming. And we stand up against that. But we do that by bringing it home and living it right here in our own thoughts, in our own actions, in our own little quarter. And often, <laughs> often that's the hard thing to do. And so we look for distractions. There might be a few distractions going on in the world right now, big scale things that can deflect us from what our lives are actually engaged in. We can think about, I don't know if you've noticed American politics lately. It seems to be in a little bit of a turmoil, a little bit of upset. And, you know, of course, the great Canadian reset. Everybody's talking about that. And is this a pandemic or a plandemic? Who knows? You know, everybody's talking about all these issues that are huge, global scale issues. And my question for you is, are we spending so much time looking at those that we forget to say, am I living like Jesus? Am I surrendering my life to him? Is my life bearing the fruits of the spirit right here in my little corner? Because you know what? You're not going to solve the issues of the conspiracies or th theories around the pandemic. You're not going to solve that. But what you can do is surrender your life right here, right now to the grace and mercy of Jesus. See, all those things can suck you down a black hole and you actually feel like you're really doing something. You're engaged, you're involved because you're talking about these big scope issues. But I want you to see the forest and the trees. I want you to look at your own life. You know, Peter, 
when he was reinstated. Remember, they're, they're walking on the beach after Peter's denied him and Jesus is walking with him and, or standing there talking to him. I don't know if they were walking or not, but, but Jesus really hones in. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter feels that pressure. And you know what Peter does? He looks over and he sees John and he says, what about him? And sometimes that's what we do when God's honing in on our lives. We're like, but what about American politics? What's the right thing there? Or what about this pandemic? Or what about whether I should wear? What about all these things? And we get so distracted. You know what Jesus said to Peter? If I want him to stay alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See the forest and the trees in Advent. Look at the big scale. Yes, the longing for, for God to come and change the world. But it starts by God coming and changing our own lives. It has to happen. And if you only had one sentence to remember out of this sermon, I would say, I want you to remember this. Painful honesty makes way for hope. We have to start right here at our little tree by honestly facing the situation that lies before me. That's what Jeremiah was called to do. And he was called as a prophet to help the whole kingdom do that. It's what Advent calls us to do, to honestly admit the darkness that we are in. Because honesty makes way for hope. If we just ignore the truth about our situation, how can we ever let hope come into it really deeply, fully? Jeremiah will get to hope. I think I gave that sermon to Jake because I'm such a nice, nice guy. But, but before that, like, like Jeremiah eventually says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans, this is God, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But the point is, you've got to realize the darkness that Judah is in before the hope can come. You've got to be honest about the situation as it is before you. And Advent is always a time that's tied to repentance, to look into our own lives, reflect on the state of our lives and if we deny the darkness in our own lives we don't even make space for the light to come it's okay to admit you're broken it's okay to admit you're weak it's okay to admit that you failed because that makes way that painful honesty actually makes way for hope when we look around and are honest about the darkness we can see the power of the light and today we're going to light the candle of hope before I do it, I just want to pray. I, I wish we could make it all dark, but with video, it doesn't really work well. But just I want you to pray with me as I pray, and then we're going to light this candle. I want you to, to visualize in your head as if it's, the whole room is totally dark and the light comes into the darkness. But let's pray together. During this time of remembrance and preparation, O oh God, as we light the hope candle, we pray that you would help us focus our eyes on you, the light of the world. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to be ready to welcome and receive you. As your word says that the God of hope himself would fill us with all joy and peace in believing, abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would make known to us how great the riches of the glory of your mystery are, that we would realize the certainty and the hope of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as we wait, may we observe the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We light a candle to remind us that light comes into darkness. Boy, and sometimes it's hard to come into darkness and we even have to go to a different place to light the candle.
There we go. You see, we do it in the darkness to remember, and this is, we're wrapping up here, but hope, please hear this, hope is not limited by our situation. Hope is not limited by what you see around you. The darkness doesn't limit the light. Another prophet who was speaking to Judah at the same time was a guy named Habakkuk. And he was crying out to God, do something, God. Things are not going well. You need to do something. And God said, okay, I'm going to send the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and all of Judah. And Habakkuk said, wait a second, that's not what I wanted you to do. But there's this process in the book of Habakkuk of God and Habakkuk going back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Habakkuk realizes that even the situation of the Babylonians coming in doesn't displace the possibility of hope. And he says at the end of of Habakkuk, he says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered and the sound at the sound decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Because the sovereign Lord, there's that word again, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You see, God is with us. If we're his, and there's no reason to fear honesty, because honesty makes the way for hope. Hope is not limited by our situation, and finally, hope rests in that idea of God's sovereignty. Jeremiah's first words of response, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord. The same exact phrase is found in Psalm 71, verse 5. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Whatever the darkness you are in, whatever the struggle, and I realize there's big darkness and we need to be a light in that big darkness too, but don't let the big darkness distract you from God's focus on what's going on in your own heart. Whatever the struggle is, whatever the, the thing you're facing that you feel inadequate a bit, the one who is over all, the sovereign Lord, is with you. He is your hope and my hope. And we can see the darkness for what it is. We can admit that it's here. We can acknowledge our fear, but we need to stand up and be courageous and to speak the words that God has commanded us. We need to trust his presence. We need to be the person he has called us and made us to be. And we can trust that even into this dark spot, the light will come. Let's pray. God, there are burdens all over this community. People looking at screens, feeling overwhelmed by the situations that face them. And God, just help us remember that, that darkness is the prime place for light to come. That being honest about this darkness, this struggle, this pain, whatever it may be, is a way of opening our hearts to what you want to do in and through us. We light one single candle today as a reminder that you come, that you came to, in flesh, that you came as a baby, you came uh, to be Jesus, and that you will return again and make all things new. Help us to rest and trust in your presence. Help us to be the people that you say we are, the people that you've made us to be. Despite our feelings of weakness and brokenness, despite our fears, help us to trust and place our hope in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
You're going to face all kinds of darkness this week on a large scale, on a small scale in the forest around your own little tree. But I would encourage you just to commit to, minister, to, to memory this Psalm 71.5, this prayer in the psalm. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth, that you could rest in the fact that even in this darkness, you are not alone. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.